The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 118 of Yeah, It's That Good. My name is Joel. I'm Martin. And I'm Kevin. This is a show that looks at supposedly good movies and asks the question, is it really that good? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are fresh and Rotten Tomatoes and reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that high? Tonight's movie is 1997's The Fifth Element, directed by Luke Besson, starring Bruce Willis, Gary Oldman, Mila Jovovich, Chris Tucker, and Ian Holm. The Fifth Element is a 1997 English language French science fiction Fiction film. This film currently holds a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? In the 23rd century, the universe is threatened by evil. The only hope for mankind is the fifth element comes to Earth every 5,000 years to protect the humans with four stones of the four elements. Fire, water, earth, and air. Okay. <laughs> a Mondo Shawan spacecraft is bringing the fifth element back to Earth, but it is destroyed by the evil Mangalores. However, a team of scientists use the DNA of the remains of the fifth element to rebuild the perfect being called Lilu. She escapes from the laboratory and stumbles upon the taxi driver and former elite commando Major Corbin Dallas that helps her to escape from the police. Lilu tells him that she must meet Father Vito Cornelius to accomplish her mission. Meanwhile, the How long evil is this? uses the greedy and cruel Jean <laughs> Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg and a team of mercenary Mangalores to retreat. This is the entire movie's <laughs> plot. <laughs> It's a synopsis. Whatever. (laughs) 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 Okay, the fifth element. Tonight's movie was sponsored by Ken, and Ken writes in and says, Hi, Joel, Martin, and Kevin. Late email, I know. Having paid 100 bison bucks, thankfully the exchange rate to British pounds was better than previously, I had the joy of picking two episodes. Thanks for the episode on Lawnmower Man. The choice was inspired by your complaints about the CGI in The Expendables. Anyway, fifth element element is something that will cause a schism. I know, but hopefully a great episode. You guys consistently entertain. Keep it up. P.S. Read Lock and Key if you haven't done so already. Up there with Preacher and 100 Bullets in the great comic book series, graphic novels, whatever. Okay, guys, The Fifth Element. What is your history with this? I've seen this movie 15, 20 times. I've seen it a lot. I catch it on TV all the time and I don't know. I'm going to say that it's one of my guilty pleasures. I saw this when it came out in theaters. I saw it with a few friends. One of those friends <laughs> yeah. very adamantly tried to walk out of the movie theater mid-movie. We had to talk him down off of that. Mostly because we paid our hard, cold cash to see this. High school dollars. Yeah, it was hard to come by the, the, <laughs> the six fifty dollars it cost to go see a movie back then. And we had to convince him to stay. I was miserable watching this, but I was going to get my money's worth. Okay, okay. As for me, I... I didn't get to see this movie in the theater. I have seen it on TV a million times before, though. So I've always enjoyed this movie back in the day. I actually ended up watching this movie two weeks ago before this recording. So this movie was very fresh in my mind. Okay, let's do what we always do at the top of the show. We'll discuss the actors one by one, and we'll see how you thought they did. This movie has a star-studded cast. We can say that, right? Yeah. Safe to say. Oh, yeah. First up, triumphant return of Bruce Willis. Okay, Bruce Willis, how'd he do in this? He was all right. He uh, was your stereotypical action star. I thought this was primetime Bruce Willis. It was way better than with the Bruce Willis we have today. Now he doesn't give a damn. In this movie, he actually tried. Yeah, he definitely was trying. He was definitely engaged. It's surprising how good of a performance he gives, considering the chaos that's around him. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. So you liked him. 
Yeah, I did. Next up, making her triumphant return to Yes That Bad, Mila Jovovich, ultraviolet herself. This has to be one of her first movies, right? This, gotta be, this is a breakout role, right, Kevin? Yeah, I think so. She's looking pretty hot and tempting. Is it that red hair you hate so much? <laughs> This is a weird, really weird role. If you if you didn't find her attractive in this movie, there's something wrong with you. She's not my cup of tea. Whoa, Martin. The idea that she's perfect, which we had to hear 50,000 times in this movie. Yeah. That's absurd. <laughs> <laughs> not your body type, huh? This is a woman that spends a lot of her time with Maynard James Keenan, a cool fan. Oh, so that ups her attractiveness level? In my eyes. This was a really tough role to play. You're speaking gibberish the whole time. It was more of a uh, physically demanding role role, and I think she did good with that aspect of it. I agree with that completely. I think that this is actually one of her best movies as far as as far as far acting is concerned. Not that she's had some phenomenal acting roles, but <laughs> Ultraviolet? I think maybe it's because her lines forced her to get into like this weird physical acting, mm-hmm. more so than her trying to like dramatically rely on script writing, which just is not there in her movies. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, next up, Chris Tucker. Whew, Chris Tucker, he was something else in this one. Martin? From his acting like just on the merit of his acting it was incredible he was really 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 <laughs> good do I like his character no like not at all but th- oh man he was really good his acting was really good when he screams there's this one part in the movie where he screams and it's so high pitched like girl I have a hard time believing he actually did that <laughs> Talented man. Kevin? Yeah, I'm going to echo everything Martin just said. I couldn't stand every second he was on the screen, but he did a phenomenal job <laughs> yeah. being that character. I'm going to go on, on a limb and say that Chris Tucker is far and away my favorite aspect of this movie. I love his character. I love it. It's so over the top. Flamboyant is too tame of a word to describe what he's doing in this movie. Uh-huh. It has to be seen to be believed, right? Yeah. This aspect alone of this movie has to be seen to be believed. This this is a Chris Tucker movie. Yeah, this is his movie. Starring <laughs> it, Chris Tucker, it, it, supporting it really Chris Willis. <laughs> Loved him in this. What about Ian Holm? He was all right. Everyone else is so over the top. He was such a low-key yeah, character. He doesn't really stand out at all. He gets swallowed up by the madness that's all around him. Hey, would you say Transformers 2, Michael Bay level, where every single character is running on all cylinders here? Oh, that's a really good point. Hmm. We keep coming back to this. It's such an interesting dynamic, right? Like, this guy made The Professional. Yes. And this. At, like, our around the same time. The Professional is such an understated movie. So quiet. <laughs> this guy's got like split personalities. And finally, I saved the best for last. Making his triumphant return. Not since the days of the unborn have we seen hide nor hair of Gary Oldman. I feel like giving a review of Gary Oldman's performance is redundant because it's always positive <laughs> and great. Like his character in this, I remember actually looking at something on the internet pretty recently, maybe like a month ago, and it had like all these different pictures of Gary Oldman's different roles. You can't even, t- you, it doesn't look like he's the same human being. I saw that. Yeah. It's, it's really pretty good. <laughs> I have a hard time believing that this is Gary Oldman. When I look at this character, I honestly, I look at him it's like, is that really Gary Oldman? It looks like it's somebody else entirely. Does that sing to his strengths as an actor of just, he's gone so above and beyond that he's just, he becomes a different it's chameleon. He, he really, he's unbelievable. Yeah, he's fantastic. That scene where he's selling the weapons yes. to those guys, yes. which is like, it's like his first scene, basically, right? Yeah. That's amazing. It kills it. It's so ludicrous what's happening <laughs> on the screen, yet he's owns everything that's happening there and he, he just kills it. It's so He's so good. Putting on a clinic? Yeah. He really is. In every movie he's in, he just makes everybody else around him look like they suck at acting. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so final summation? No, it's a star-studded cast, and everybody's acting is top-notch, a number one roller rager. Yeah, I'm not gonna knock anybody in this. No, this cast. is very well acted. Okay, that's pretty much it. Let's get into the brief history of the Fifth Element. Luc Besson wrote the original screenplay when he was in high school, largely set in a futuristic New York City. What, Bart? What? Like, that's absurd. <laughs> no, what? Doesn't this feel like something a high school kid would make up? Yeah. Makes perfect it, sense. I mean, it kind of does, but it's too self-aware to be high school. Maybe he did that later. I don't know. Largely set in a futuristic New York City, the film was a French production with most of the principal photography filmed at Pinewood Studios in England. The explosion in the Floston Main Hall was the largest indoor explosion ever filmed. The resulting fire almost got beyond control. The hero, Bruce Willis, and the villain, Gary Oldman, never meet, nor do they communicate in any way. They are, in fact, unaware of each other's degree of involvement. Yeah, I I noticed that while I was watching it this time around. The divine language spoken in the film is a fictional language with only 400 words, invented by director Luc Besson and Mila Jovovich. Jovovich stated that she and Besson wrote letters to each other in the divine language as practice. The Fifth Element was nominated for an Academy Award in 1998 in the Best Effects, Sound Effects Editing category, losing to Titanic, but it won the BAFTA Award for Best Visual Effects. The film received four Saturn Award nominations, including Best Science Fiction Film, which it lost to Men in Black, Best Costume, lost to Starship Troopers, Best Special Effects, lost to Starship Troopers, and Best Supporting Actress from Mila Jovovich, lost to Gloria Stewart for Titanic. Yeah, what's that doing there? Does this make any sense? Is it for the effects? Titanic is like after a historical event. Yeah, but it was it was a summer blockbuster big special effects film. Yeah, but it's not sci-fi. Yeah. Conversely, Jovovich received a Razzie nomination for Worst Supporting Actress, but she lost to Alicia Silverstone for Batman and Robin. Martin, do you agree? Absolutely. That's a home run on that one. While Chris Tucker was nominated for Worst New Star, he lost it to Dennis Rodman for Double Team. Hmm. Worst New Star for this? Get out of here. At the time, it was the most expensive film ever produced outside of Hollywood. Martin, this movie had a $90 million budget. How much did it make worldwide? $200 million. Pretty close. $263 million. Payday. Not bad. Not bad at all. Okay, the fifth element. So this movie starts off in typical yes, that bad fashion with... We get a flashback. Thank God we get a flashback. Oh, it's been a while. Especially one that starts so far back in time. 1914 is the year. Egypt is place. You know, I, I often forget that this part of the movie is even there. This is one of those movies that I catch on TV, and when I catch it, it's always past this yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, same here. So I don't remember this at all, because this part is kind of inconsequential. It doesn't really have to do with anything. It kind of sets up some concepts, yeah. very minor concepts, but in reality, yeah. it has nothing to do with anything. Okay, so we have this massive time jump 300 years later into the far, far future. Yeah, 2214 or whatever. Yeah, and we're on this spaceship. They're out in space. They're doing all this stuff. All of a sudden, this magical, evil, alien planet appears out of nowhere. It looks like Apocalypse from Superman. <laughs> oh, right Kevin. here in my notes. What do you got there, Kevin? <laughs> 300 years later, Spaceship sees what appears to be Apocalypse. <laughs> so there's a spaceship out there. It's monitoring this big evil planet. It They're like, shoot first, ask questions later. This scene is extremely confusing because it makes the viewer think the president's in outer space. Oh, yeah. He's not. No. <laughs> He's on Earth. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Because they're communicating to each other and there's no problem. At all. And they're nowhere near Earth. They're nowhere near it. It's like they're in the same room. <laughs> yeah. so weird. So the spaceship is out there in space. They're shooting all these missiles. 
missiles at this vague, nebulous planet toy thing. Every time they hit it, it gets bigger and bigger. Ian Holm is there. He's a priest slash astrophysicist expert in yeah, that was a weird, weird title. phenomena <laughs> or some crap. I, I have no idea. Well, the planet keeps getting bigger. He's telling them to stop. They won't listen. And then all of a sudden... We get Ghost Rider shooting yeah. out of the front of this planet. Yeah, the spirit of vengeance comes out of this planet. A giant fireball with a cheesy skull face on it, it engulfs the spaceship and kills screams them. too, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like... It's look terrible. Why? They're just throwing together a bunch of elements from different things they've seen before. I mean, we saw the height of what CG flames could look like in Lawnmower Man. And to go from that to this, it's a huge step down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why is this thing purposely generating a skull? It's a planet. <laughs> what is this thing, period? Yeah, what the hell is this? This is a really, really odd movie because right off the bat, I'm going to say this. Who's the villain of this movie? The, that planet toyed thing. That fireball, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman is the king of fools in this movie. Yeah, he he's is. to a certain extent he's, being controlled by it he's, also. He's, he's Mannheim. The planet is the villain. Isn't yeah. that weird? Yeah. It's weird because it's so close to being a natural disaster. I very recently saw a film, big budget Hollywood movie, that had this very similar concept in it. I won't say which. In that movie, I find that concept to be very underwhelming and unsatisfying. What do you think about that in here? Oh, yeah. It's, this is terrible. There's nothing to latch on to. No. Who am I? What, you guys can't identify with a nebulous lava sphere? <laughs> no, this, 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 Platonic this, solid? The, the part where you find out that this was written by the guy in high school, it's like, that That makes sense. No thought was put into this. You know at what? all. You know what's weird in this movie? There are certain scenes that the absurdity and the over-the-topness become almost self-aware, and I, I find it hard to believe that someone in high school wrote that. Like, maybe added it in later. Possibly. Not enough Dragon Ball Z references for you? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't talk about Krillin. <laughs> Enough. No, I... Okay, so after this stupid fireball engulfs this ship and kills all these people, we, we jump cut to Bruce Willis waking up in his futuristic, dingy, crappy, automated apartment. And everything in the future, in, in this future, is automated. His bed makes itself. His cigarettes come out of this weird cigarette dispenser. Everything talks like Lawnmower Man. It, it, this would be infuriating to me. I would lose my mind. Yeah, like, this, is, like, this is a piss poor depiction of the future. It's always fun to see what people in the 90s and the 80s have thought what the future would be. It's very quaint and like backwards, a lot of the concepts that they have, right? This, this is 1997. It's not that long ago. Yeah. And half the stuff is already outdated. No, it is. You know what's weird? I feel like whenever I see stuff that's trying to emulate like a futuristic society, they have all this like extra stuff going on around you rather than streamlining it to make your experience easier and yeah. fluid. They make it like all crazy and clunky and stuff shooting everywhere. <laughs> it's like, here's your cigarettes. It's like, shoots into your mouth. It's yeah. Like, like, you could cut that out. That's not happening. No one wants that. That's pretty good. We had the wave of Minority Report ripoffs, right? Where yeah. everybody was wiggling their hands in the air. There's all these holograms floating and people were whipping them around. Avatar was the last movie I saw with the floating holograms. That's in the decline. Now, it's iPad screens for everything. Mm -hmm. Everything's a touchscreen. That's the future for us. What do you think? The present for That's us. That's the present for us. Everything is a touchscreen. Yeah, but in future depictions of the movie, everything's a touchscreen. Like, on the table, the touchscreen, and blah, blah, blah. It's 
it's just boring and it's not creative or clever. Well, yeah, so Bruce Willis, apparently he's ex-military guy. He's highly decorated. He's got a Medal of Honor for PlayStation 1 on his... <laughs> <laughs> he's got it sitting on top of his PlayStation 1. Yeah. And, and he essentially goes through his morning routine. Somebody knocks on the door. He opens it up. He's getting held up by, I think, a junkie of some sort. Yeah, drug addict. Some type of future junkie who's got a phenomenal hat on. His hat is a picture of the hallway. So when you look through the peephole, it's there's his, no one there. Yeah. That's clever. No, it is. It's clever. It's at this point that I realized that the future in this movie sucks. <laughs> I would not want to live in this future. All right, let's go. Lightning round. Best movie future world to live in. Go. Jetsons. That's not, really? What? Really? <laughs> Why, Kevin? That seems pretty peaceful. That's it? Most of the futures we see are a mess. Terminator right? 2. Bad stuff is happening. We don't ever go to the future you don't and everyone's in, happy. You, you don't want to live in planet, planet of the Apes future? Some mankind has been wiped out of existence. There's just talking monkeys everywhere. What about you? Best future? Oh, um, no, because all future movies are like usually dystopian, right? Yeah. I'm going to go Star Trek for my future. For my future? Free food for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's so cool. Joel loves free food. Free food, holographic sex isn't for it, everybody. Isn't it, isn't it free for everyone? Everything's free. Everything's free as well. Is that true? Everything's free in the, Star Trek world? Yeah, yeah there's no Star money. Star Trek world, there's no money. It evolved beyond money. Plus, they can't follow the money because there is no money. That doesn't make any sense. How so? How do you get anywhere wow. without following the money? Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. there you go. I'm probably going to say AI future. Look pretty I clean. thought about AI. I thought you might say that. The people yeah. were pretty happy and They're, content. Go to that flesh fair. <laughs> get some flesh. Are you kidding me, bro? Party with Chicolo Joe. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so back to the movie. Ian Holm, he's an expert in astrophysicist, macabre stuff for some weird reason. He says, and I quote, we have 48 hours until this evil planet toy matures and wipes out all life in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Does this movie feel like it takes place over the course of two days? It, lo- it feels no. like it takes over the course of like two months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. They say stuff like, we'll be at the hotel in four hours and things like that. It doesn't feel like that at all. It's at this point that we get introduced to these other aliens, which I guess are bad, right? They're the evil aliens. Yeah. If, if you could call them that, they're really just kind of, kind of dumb. Dumb soldiers? Yeah, I guess that's what they are. They're just fodder, cannon fodder. Yeah, the good aliens are coming back to Earth with the ultimate weapon, and they get attacked by these space pigs? How do you describe these, th- these that's, things? That's a good way to describe them. Like, if you ever played Duke Nukem 3D, they look like space <laughs> pigs. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, they they have, like, really broad faces and they giant Big ears. Yeah, and just giant mouths. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> they were be- a better alien design than the robotic duck turtle things. I thought they looked pretty good, like the effects on them, the yeah. makeup and all that. Oh, yeah, that looked really good. They did a great job on that. How do you like the space traffic light? Oh, Oh, that was yeah, cool. that was awesome. That was pretty sweet. <laughs> it's like it's like you you can come into like the Federation space territory, and the ship's like, okay, thanks. Bing. Turns green, they drive in. Oh, it's so absurd. High school, Kevin. I'm glad we have space traffic lights to look forward to in the future. <laughs> okay, so even when we have flying cars on Earth, we have traffic lights in the space. Okay, so this ship with the stupid robot alien gets shot down by these pig aliens in a movie that's so over the top with everything else. This is like a pretty important plot point, and it's like so minute and like understated like this is their the savior and this this is a whole reason they go on this dumb quest isn't it (laughs) 
<laughs> yep. You'd, you'd miss it if you blinked. Yeah, so the humans go to the crash site, I guess, and they find like one piece of survivor. Yeah, the hand of the survivor of the ship. And they, they use their super extreme DNA technology. What did you guys think of this machine? Yeah, to re- they use this machine to recreate the whoever it was that was driving this thing. So it turns out that the alien was, in fact, Mila Jovovich. This, so, wait, this wait, 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 raises a, yeah, a lot of questions yeah, here. Yeah, like, what's, what's going on here? So anyway, so we saw the pilot of that ship before it exploded. It was one of those giant turtle robot creatures, right? Right. Yeah. So Mila was inside that thing? Yeah, that's what I thought. I what was a like, clunky-ass design I was for a little petite woman. At first, I was like, wait, wait. Is this what's being built from the inside of that sarcophagi that they were transporting? In the beginning of the movie, yeah. they took a sarcophagus. That was the fifth element, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Is that what they recovered from the crash site? No, absolutely not. They recovered the guy driving it. Yes. It She's was, inside of that thing? Yeah, it was inside. I'm going to say that why would maybe why would you pilot that they like she's so much faster and stronger without it i'm gonna say she is built to represent whatever beings she's around well wow, that's quite a stretch there they use their machine they rebuild mila from the ground up they put these bandages on her that they call them thermal bandages yeah, bandages. yeah they're real bandages. She's, she looks like she's, a real. she's all cut up yeah a real skimpy s&m costume this is a very iconic looking costume oh for sure i, I think like mm-hmm. For years, I've seen this image. Yeah. Sort of like, you go to Comic-Con, you're going to see girls dressed up like this. What do you yes. think of this uniform, Kevin? It doesn't make any practical sense, but... None whatsoever. For a movie that, that really tries really hard to be visually stimulating, it works. So, good job there, I guess. This stimulated me all over the place. In all and the right places? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what a thermal bandage is. It doesn't make sense to me, but she can wear it whenever she wants. That's <laughs> totally okay with me. So, Mila Jovovich is in this tube. The doctors say, this tube is indestructible. The general goes up to it. He starts taunting Mila. She growls like a tiger mm-hmm. or like a tornado twister, F5 yep, tornado. Yep. She punches through the indestructible glass, grabs this guy and beats him up. She okay. has a real sliding strength scale in this movie. Oh, yeah, she's, she's like Superman she's in that regard. She's all over right? the place. She's as strong as the plot demands it to be. Did yeah. you guys catch the cutout in the glass before her fist went through yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> so no, no, blatant. No, no, I didn't. Really? Like there's oh a circle? Oh my god, yeah. It's all, you can see the glass is all cut out. I saw it live. I didn't even need to slow it down or really? anything. It's terrible. Wow, I never noticed this before. Really? No. Yeah, keep an eye on that. Was it as bad as the the wires in Lawnmower Man? It, to me, it stuck out even worse. No way, that was yeah. really bad. It was like shiny. What I thought was really stupid and cheap looking is that when she escapes from this tube, she like jumps through a paper wall on the side of the, <laughs> the room. What's that about? Didn't you think that she jumped like outside the building. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that she flew away. <laughs> what, what was that? Yeah, so Mila's running around. She's on a ledge. We get to see new New York future world with flying cars every which way. What do you think of this French depiction of New York future? Yeah, leave it to the French to... to- <laughs> To, to really paint a pretty poor picture of the United States of America. USA? USA. 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 This depiction of the future, this is chaos, right? There are cars everywhere. I don't know how they get anything done. No, it's... Chaos reigns. Apparently. You know, at this part of the movie, I mean, I guess I usually don't ask myself these questions when I'm watching this movie. I'm just along for the ride because this, this movie is fun. As absurd and ridiculous as it is, it's a fun movie to watch. But this time around, I'm, I'm looking 
at it for like plot points and plot holes. You got that? Yes, that bad hat on. Yeah, I do. And I'm like, does she remember what happened to her on the ship when it crashed? Yes. In the beginning? Yes. She, yeah, she should. No, it's a. She absolutely does because later in the movie she has a flashback. She does, but she doesn't right away. Yeah. I think See, you're like, right. like what what is weird to me is she when, does know she does have her they, memories she, when when they rebuild her and she gets her memories back. How would that be possible from her DNA? What, what what's going on there? How's that happening? Memory is stored in your hand. <laughs> oh, it is. All right. Oh, yeah, you didn't know that. Oh well, I guess the conversation we had on our after dark, <laughs> whoa, which, which whoa. may or may not come out <laughs> in ten ever. years, <laughs> in, ever. All right, so Mila Jovovich, she jumps off the building. She believes she can fly and commit suicide. Smashes into Bruce Willis's cab. Coincidence? Dismissed as coincidence. What do you think of it? How how powerful is Mila Jovovich at this point? Because she's fallen twenty trillion feet into this cab at Mach seventeen. Yeah, she seems pretty durable, right? Indestructible is the word you're looking like, for. Like right now, she's an indestructible killing machine. Uh-huh. Later in the movie, they make her out to be this frail, wilting flower. Mm-hmm. What would you call that, Kevin? Lazy? Pretty lazy. She fell at a minimum in this scene, several hundred feet at a very fast speed, fast enough to, I mean- Several hundred thousand feet. She These goes, buildings she goes are the, so high. She goes through the top of that cab, like straight through it, like it's a piece of paper. <laughs> it's made of metal. Well, anyway, so the cops give chase to Bruce Willis with Mila Jovovich in the back. They go to McDonald's, some product placement there. Oh, so heavy with the product placement. What did you think of the McDonald's costumes, the uniforms that they're wearing? I think that they should- endorse and Enact implement that, now? that immediately. Cosigned. Even the men. I want them wearing <laughs> low-cut cleavage. Oh, I was specifically talking about the men. You know, while this chase is going on, there's a very weird musical choice oh, that yeah. Luke Besson made here. It was like this very loud Middle Eastern kind of song. Mm-hmm. Did it fit the scene? No. The problem I, I have with this whole scene still is like, she doesn't speak English, but she's aware that these people are trying to are trying to, like, they, they she's there to help them. Mm-hmm. Like, and not only that, she was asking for permission to enter their airspace, like in outer space or whatever, with that at the traffic light in outer space. <laughs> Her ship was like, permission granted. Wait, what is she speaks English? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> like her ship talks to her in English. What's with this confusion? Why is she running? <laughs> so they get cornered and Bruce Willis is, is ready to let the cops just take Mila Jovovich. Take, take her away. Go ahead. And she's in the back and there's like a picture of like a kid and it says, please help on it. Yeah. Somehow she's able to read and understand what those letters mean. Help. <laughs> oh, it could have said, please fart on me. And, and she could have said that over and over again. And Bruce would have been like, oh, all right. All right. <laughs> I guess. Now I have to save her. It's at this part in the car where the police, I guess they, they go down into like the smog layer and they can't find him. And she makes some comment about how she's, you know, she needs to find this priest. And so he decides to take her over to his apartment and he brings her into his apartment and somehow she's injured. And I didn't understand how she got hurt. Yeah, I didn't understand either. She's like on she was the fine couch, before. like passed out. Yeah. How did she get hurt? She was fine before. It seemed like she got injured from the car driving, but like. How can she fall through the roof of the, the cab and not be injured? And then from her driving and her being jostled around in the back seat, she gets injured. You know, in this scene, they shot his car 50 trillion times. Yeah. yeah. How do they not get yeah, hit? Yeah, this, this part always gets me. It's like an army is attacking them. Mm-hmm. All Bruce does is tilt the car a little bit. Bullets hit the door. Like where he's at. Bullets go through the car, like past them. They just misses both of them. Coincidence? Yeah, dismisses coincidence, I guess. Well, um... 
she kicks Bruce Willis out. She's living at this priest's apartment, learning about the human race for the first time. Yeah, she's using the futuristic version of Wikipedia, which looks super inefficient the way she's using it. All she's doing is looking at pictures. Of words, yeah. What does that tell her? What does that teach her? Everything. Yeah. She's learning about our There's no context for anything that she's seeing. All right, so we cut to Bruce Willis. He's in his apartment, and he's talking to, I guess it's his boss. Bruce Willis lays down in his bed. Yep. He starts caressing his nipples and talking to his boss on the phone and having phone sex with him. (laughs) What's that about? It's like watching a grown man play a game of Dream Phone or something. He's like, I'm in love. Yeah. What dude talks to any other dude like that? <laughs> yeah, that that doesn't happen. I mean, listen. Okay, let's look at it like this. I mean, it's girl talk. Let's grown look. men having girl talk. All right, well, Kevin, Kevin. He might as well have just been in a bubble bath with candles lit around. I'm like, oh, he's so dreamy. <laughs> well, let's look at it like this, Kevin. You know, today's modern man is a little more sensitive than ever before. Oh, okay. Right? I mean, there's the metrosexual movement and the hipster movement. All these things are happening around us where men are softer than ever. We saw that guy cry over his dead wife and child and saw that was the pinnacle of it <laughs> that was the start of the crying man movement yeah so you know and, and, and as you go further and further into the future there's a telescoping effect where things just go faster and faster crazier and crazier right so men are super emo in the future in the that's, future that's the vision we're gonna get i mean look at chris tucker <laughs> Chris Tucker wasn't a man or a woman in this movie. He was yeah, he was some, some he was, he was other. something else. So this is finally the time in the movie where we meet Gary Oldman, a, an actor's actor, a true artiste. Without a doubt, he meets up with our buddies, the space pigs, and he gives them a bunch of weapons. And he does this little demonstration of what this one gun he has can do. Mm-hmm. And it has all these interesting capabilities. Like it can shoot arrows. It has a net. And the one thing that it can do that's really amazing and interesting is that if you shoot shoot one point in space with this bullet. Every subsequent bullet you fire will go to that same point. No matter where you're pointing the gun, the bullets will magically fly back to that original spot. Mm-hmm. That's a really cool thing, and I'm amazed that never comes back it in this really movie. Doesn't. How does that not come back? You introduce this awesome concept and you never use it again? Because it's completely impractical. But those guns are used again later in the movie, and they're just used as standard rifles. As soon as I saw it, I was like, why would you ever want a gun that does that? What if you missed your first shot? What if your target's moving? Okay, so Gary Oldman, he, he pulls his first double cross in this scene. I was Ooh, happy to see what it. What a many. Oh, yeah. He gives them these guns in exchange for the four element tablets. They're not in the case. He's pretty PO'd, because... <laughs> Every five seconds, someone gives this guy a case with nothing in it. <laughs> this happens a lot in this movie. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, listen, bro, you don't got the stones, you don't get the guns. And they're like, hey, we did some work, we deserve something. So he gives them one case of guns. They're all playing with them. Apparently, there's one red button on the bottom that he didn't tell them about. It's the self-destruct or explode button. Yeah, I don't understand what, what why use, a weapon what, what would use, have this. It was such a big, it was so big. It was a really large button that, <laughs> that, that flashing red. Flashing red. It looks like it would be really easy to accidentally hit it and just blow yourself up. Why would you have that on a gun? I guess it's good in case your enemies pick up one and try to use it against you, right? You use your predator watch and you go, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> <laughs> I like when uh, Garrett Oldman's first introduced. This guy runs up to him. And he's like, "The president called. He wants you to fire five hundred thousand people. Fire a million. <laughs> <laughs> Why does the president want you to fire people?" <laughs> 
<laughs> the economy was getting too overheated. Oh, hey, 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 hey. Can, can you guys talk about Gary Oldman's hair for a second and his hat? If you can call it a hat. It's not a hat. Is that, you, you know, all his, all, he has like an entourage that have the same thing. It's like a plastic yarmulke or something that <laughs> covers half of his skull. Yeah. And his weird floppy hair is draped over that side of his head. He's got a really weird look. And his costume too, his jacket, it's made of that that weird fabric that was everywhere in the 90s. Where it was, the, it was like mood clothing or something. When <laughs> yeah. the light hits it just right, it changes color. Yeah. Yeah. He's is a he, weird looking dude. Is he from the South? Yes. Yeah. I thought so. He's from the Space South. Uh-huh. Where's Space South? Space, Where is space that? Space Georgia. I, I don't know. <laughs> he's George. from Space Georgia. Absolutely. That's what he sounds like. Something he was from the South. Yeah, I love did. it. I love this this character. He's so good. He's a snake oil salesman. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what his, that's his character. That's he's got his a limb archetype. for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. Well, after this scene, we, we see that Gary Oldman, he's he specializes in, in the double cross. Okay, anyway, Bruce Willis, he is having dinner, Chinese food, with a Chinese food boat restaurant hover car. That's pretty cool. It's really cool. Comes right to his door. It's perfect. That's how I want my Chinese food. I, I want him to come to my window. How dangerous is that, though, right? Because there's so, so many times dangerous. where you're like, I can go for some Chinese right now. And then you're like, well, but I got to drive there. I got to have him deliver it. And, eh, you're saying in I'll the future, else. people are fatter than they are now, if that's even possible? Yeah, because can you imagine it just comes right <laughs> to your door? Era. It's amazing. The guy makes it fresh right in front of you. That is pretty cool. Oh. Hey, talk to him. Sign me up. He like knew him. Like they hung out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're bros. <laughs> Grandfather say it never rains every day. That's good advice, I thought. It's true, because Bruce Willis was being pretty pessimistic. Real good advice. Yeah, but then he gets fired. He gets fired from his job and Via this, then the other. U.S. Postal Service delivery. Yeah, yeah that's a plastic paper. way to get fired. We had email in 1997, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. We, we all foresaw the end of the U.S. Postal Service back in 1997, didn't we? But we didn't know that plastic paper was going to make a comeback. That's a really good point. So during this scene, apparently Bruce Willis, unbeknownst to the moviegoer and everybody else in the movie, (laughs) he wins a trip to Flauston Paradise, uh, which apparently is like a vacation planet. Planet Risa. Star Trek. Same thing. So essentially what happened was the president said, get your Top Gun special (laughs) commando. And so they rigged the contest to get him on this ship. Apparently this is the only ship that goes to this planet ever, ever, ever. The most popular paradise planet in the galaxy. You can only take one flight there. The military can't fly someone there? On their own? No. Nobody they have this well- elaborate plot of having to rig a contest. The, the world government can't get a, a ship to go to this planet? It's absurd. They get it's back- easier for them to rig this contest in like a three hour period. They get back from this planet on a, what's the, what's the equivalent of like a life raft in outer space when they jettison off mm-hmm. and they, they jump back to Earth. So these ships are capable of making this trip yeah why did they go through all this trouble a really good question. So he gets onto this onto this ship, and this is when we are introduced to Chris Tucker's character, and it is quite some, a sight, something to behold. It really is. He is supposed to be the equivalent of a Z Morning Zoo shock jock, Scott and Todd. Yes, ninety five five WPLJ, Scott and Todd in the morning. <laughs> yeah, combined into one person. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's Elvis Duran of the Z Morning Zoo and Thank you, yeah. Chris Tucker's character, he's the radio jock super prima donna. He has what's really weird is the amount of fans that he has. You know, radio is dying <laughs> today. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? Why is... But he's like the most popular man in the universe on a radio show? They still have the radio in the future? Yeah, because I didn't see any cameras. No, it was a radio show. He, they said yeah, it, it over and over. Show. That he's, it's a radio show. Wow. I guess Sirius, Sirius XM, it lives on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Another thing I wanted to talk about that we just glossed over, real just real quick. I want to bring this up. Uh-huh. When the military hijacks Bruce Willis and forces him to go on this mission, uh-huh. they go to his apartment and Bruce Willis tosses them into a refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, those guys freeze to death, right? <laughs> yeah, they're no, corpses no, in the refrigerator. They are, they are. They're dead. They're in the movie later. Fine. Yeah, they come back later like it's nothing. What happened there? <laughs> That's the scheme here, that the military rigged this contest to get Bruce Willis onto this luxury space yacht so he can meet up with a space diva to get the space rocks and bring them back to space Earth to complete this mission. And go to space camp. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they're going to ride on Space Mountain <laughs> and they're going to get lost in space. Look, that's the plot, right? That, that's where we're it at is. Right It is. And there's every, like 45 other groups of people trying to get these rocks too. Gary Oldman's got his people trying to get them. The ugly space pigs. Space pigs are trying to get them. There's this Milo scene that goes on. Them. This scene that goes on for like 25 minutes of different people trying to get on the, the vessel as Bruce Willis. So multi-pass. Multi-pass yeah. over and over again. Then Gary Oldman's guy uses a public payphone. Oh yeah, so have payphones oh in 2777 <laughs> or whatever the hell. Can, can someone explain to me why this space planet somehow makes you bleed out of your forehead? when it's angry at you? Uh, I don't know. All right, so, well, we're off the wall. One thing at a time. It's because this one, movie's off the wall. Right, one thing, it, it. Let's go point by point here. One thing at a time. First off, they go to the space airport, like LaGuardia or JFK, <laughs> right, in the future. It's, it's, it's airport it's, slash dump. It's covered in garbage, <laughs> which is never explained. I don't understand why there's wall-to-ceiling garbage. <laughs> and and the person is like, sorry about the garbage back there. Yeah, yeah. yeah it points it out. It's a 10 trillion tons of garbage doesn't mean anything. Uh, Gary Oldman's henchman is talking on the space payphone. Gary Oldman is, gets pissed off at him. He pushes a <laughs> random series of buttons somewhere and the payphone explodes? Or does the guy explode? The payphone. Oh, so just every payphone is rigged to blow? Yeah, it starts 69 them. <laughs> Okay, so there's that. And then the giant evil space planet demon creature, it makes a phone call to Gary Oldman. (laughs) It shoots off these radio waves and Gary Oldman picks up his cell phone and talks to him. Martin, what's that about? I don't understand this at all. Oh, and by the way, the evil space planet has a name. It's Mr. Shadow. That's the worst, laziest name ever. If this planet is capable of physically affecting people that are literally light years away from it by making their forehead bleed and killing them and controlling their mind? Why does he need to call him on a phone? Why does he need him at all? That's a great question. Why does he Why does he need him? I assumed he was just he was running interference. He's getting the stone so that no one else can to use it against him. Are you saying he's a stone protector? His stones of power glow? <laughs> wow. Is it me or the blood that came down Gary Oldman's head look like chocolate, like syrup? Yep. Does not look like blood. It looked like the uh, black ooze stuff from the X-Files. Ah. The oil? <laughs> 
purity. Yeah. How about the when the jet's about to take off? There's all these crew workers. Yeah, we got a Rastafarian Jamaican. There's a really strong reggae. There's really strong reggae influence in this movie. And they're like burning these weird troll things. What did that have to do with anything? They're parasites. Why does that? Why? Why did we spend like seriously? It was like five minutes with it, these people. It was. Why? What was the point of that? It was to give you some some reggae, I, some reggae, and some ska. like. You know what was cool about this scene though? When they're taking off, they have like five or six different things going on in five or six different places and they all coincide and link up together. I yeah, really I actually did think this was well done. I like that. It was really well put together. That was a, like a rapid fire lightning round of nitpicks. <laughs> like we, we all just had we had a real bone to pick with this movie. What after the other? We all have like three billion bones to pick with this movie. <laughs> okay, so the ship takes off. Chris Tucker sleeps with this girl, I guess. Oh, they have wild oral sex. <laughs> in this movie, right? Yet again. He, he has wild oral sex with her. Yeah. Another oral sex scene in the Yes, That Bad Feature film. Keep them coming, guys. <laughs> Can't get enough. What's our streak now at? 118? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Every single movie. Even Richie Rich had one. <laughs> they put everybody to sleep and they wake up on Flossed in Paradise and I guess... I'm not they, impressed with Flossed in Paradise, really. It, it just looks like an ocean, right? Yeah. It's just like they're on a giant cruise ship Pretty hovering much. above an ocean. They have these Hawaiian guys there when you come out. And I actually did like this scene when she comes out and they put a lay on her. No, Kevin? Not a fan? You're bored and sleeping and farting in your sleep? Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> what I was doing. Bored <laughs> sleeping and farting in your sleep and sleep farting. <laughs> Okay, so Chris Tucker starts up his live podcast from uh, yeah. from Flossed in Paradise. And once this diva singer gets involved, Mila Jovich has contact with her and she's like, hey, I'm going to give you the stones. Wait till after my performance. So she starts to perform. And wait, 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 wait. This part really made my eyebrows raise when I saw this the other night. Did it get your goat? It got my goat real good. <laughs> All right, so... Like Roger Gears? Yeah, that too. The, so this diva, this blue alien creature, she has the stones that are required to power the ultimate weapon that's the only thing that can kill the evil planet in space. Okay, so Miljovich is sent to this space hotel yacht thing to get the stones from the diva. All right, the diva and Miljovich are like mere feet from each other. She's like three feet away from her. And then one of the diva's lackeys comes up and says, hey, thank Thanks for coming up. Glad you're here. We'll give you the stones after the performance. Why wait? She's right there. There's no threat anywhere. Because I think she has to die to give the stones. What? They're in her body. So? They put them in to take them out. Mm, that's a good point. How did they get in there? <laughs> She ate them? <laughs> yeah, she ate them. They're like cinder block sized. Okay, so there's this long drawn out fight scene in this room with Mila Jovovich. And, and this, again, is where her her strength kind of goes on this sliding scale again. She's now a karate kung fu fight expert. Elizabeth Berkeley and Showgirls. She's just beating up these giant... I mean, they they weigh what? Like 300 pounds. pounds. And she weighs like 100, a hundred pounds. Yeah. 90 90 pounds. something. She is massive them. I, this scene is absurd. I mean, this whole movie is absurd. There's but. a part in it where she does this real comical thing where she punches the first space pig and then punches another one that's right behind her. That pig that's behind her is just standing still for five minutes straight. He's just <laughs> yeah. standing there not moving at all. Yeah. It I looked know. really bad. Like, really <laughs> bad. Yeah, this was a very poorly choreographed fight scene. And while this is all going on, the space diva is on the space stage singing her space song. <laughs> 
This is the make or break for people. This song, she sings. I remember this is what got our friend to get up and leave. He wanted to get out of there. Yeah. During this little song. What did you think of the song she sang? I thought it was uh, a little ridiculous, to be honest with you. Like, the opera part was fine. And then, like, once it started to get into, like, the... I'm like, what is going on? I remember the first time. Maybe it was because my friend made such a big deal about it. But I remember thinking it was really stupid. This time, I, I d- didn't even infect me. It blended in with all the visuals of this, of this movie. I, I thought it was pretty jarring, <laughs> to be honest. Well, Lilu is is up in this room while this scene's going on, and she's beating up all these these pig aliens. But unfortunately, Zorg shows up, and he's got his gun with him, his super gun. Gary Oldman did it again. She essentially throws the box that contains, or is supposed to contain, the four stones that are the four other elements to him. And when he catches it, he loses his balance, and she flies, like literally flies, into a ventilation shaft on the ceiling. And he, he pulls a scene right out. Of, right out of Batman, where he shoots the ceiling out. <laughs> She's out there crying like a baby. I thought that she was super powerful. Yeah, the ultimate weapon and all this stuff. She took down like 800 of those pig men. She can't take one Gary Oldman out. He is pretty powerful. It's true. So all the rest of the aliens, they they start attacking and taking over the ship. They shoot the blue squid singing lady. And Bruce Willis, he grabs her and he's got her on her floor. She's like, you have to save Lilu. You're the key. I don't know. She says some kind of garbage like that. That. He asks her where the stones are. She says, they're in me. So Bruce Willis she passes a kidney stone to him. He he scrubs up for surgery, reaches his hand in there, pulls these stones out. It doesn't even look like her body could physically have held those no, stones. No, I wrote that down too. It's like, they fit inside of her? How? She is really big. Like, I forget, like, when she's laying on the ground, she looks like she's Bruce Willis's size. But when she's standing up next to other people, she's like nine and a half feet tall. Yeah. Maybe, this, maybe that species doesn't have words organs in their bellies. That's how they can sing like that? I guess. I don't know. Yeah, so we had this really long, drawn out action scene where Bruce Willis is running around the hotel, Gary shooting space pigs. Bombs. Yeah, he's playing the bombs, running around, doing stuff. Bruce Willis jumps off a balcony. He does what I'm going to refer to as the diehard pose as he jumps yeah. off the balcony. Did you notice that? Yeah. This stuff is okay. Or this is fun, right? It's probably the most fun I have watching this movie. The action scenes were pretty good. I actually enjoy Chris Tucker's involvement. His all the stuff that Chris Tucker is doing in this movie I really like that whole scene with him introducing the opera and introducing the people in the opera I love that stuff so yeah he's doing a great job they're running around it's a lot of action that ultimately means nothing right yeah it really ultimately means nothing like this it's a 15 minute action scene with him running around shooting the pigs but at the end of the day it really doesn't affect the story at all that Bruce Willis is doing this because the important things are happening elsewhere and this is just filler really Mm -hmm. our boy Gary Oldman he realizes that he He's been double-crossed. He doesn't have the stones. And he goes back to the ship that he planted bombs onto. And when he comes back onto the ship, he crosses paths with Bruce Willis. Like, as he's entering the room, they're leaving it. Mm-hmm. That's as close as they get to, to coming together to each other. Yep. And Gary Oldman disarms a bomb with two seconds left. And then one of the pigs, he clearly pulls out a master lock. <laughs> yep. That is exactly what that is. <laughs> it is. It actually is. I saw that in the notes. Just a master lock. He pushes the button and it blows 
blows up. Now, Gary Oldman dies without accomplishing anything. Yeah. Not a damn thing. He's the closest thing we have to a villain in this movie, really, that we can latch on to. Yes. He doesn't do anything. What does he do in this movie? Nothing. He goes from place to place. He talks to a couple people, and that's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. He never sees Bruce Willis. He never affects the plot in any conceivable way. He doesn't do anything. He said he shoots at Mila Jovovich and makes her cry. That's it. Yeah. What is this? He's just an opposing force to our protagonist. That's what he is. I mean, it's really an allegory for life, Joel. I mean, there's you know, there's not one single villain out there. Yeah. It's a collection of people doing things their own self-centered way, and it all affects people. Man did humanity to man. Yeah. Wow. Deep. It's real deep. No, this is this is super deep. Okay, so the ship explodes. Everybody gets on their their life vessels. Pandorum. Their, yeah, that's exactly essentially everybody is is getting into their ejection capsules and they fly away. And essentially, the president calls Bruce Willis's plane. Sure, why not? Why not? He's like, oh, the, the president wants to talk to you. He's like, oh, hey. <laughs> essentially, the president's just like, oh, the thing's moving back towards Earth. You got like ten minutes or something. <laughs> I'll call you at 15. Call Why? you at 15. Yeah. You, so did it know what was happening? It makes it seem that way. The evil planet thing knew that Sure they, makes it seem that way. That's... On the ex- escape vessel, Mila Jovich is able to jack back into, I guess, like some desktop computer that's on the ship. In Carta, 1995. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Wow, like, like 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 a whole year of my life's memories just came rushing back to me. Oh my god. I used to play the little mini game that came with it. It was like a dungeon yes, crawling yes. thing. Oh yeah. And you would you would answer questions, A B C. Oh my gosh. gosh. Yeah, there you go. And Carta. <laughs> oh man. Those guys were like Oh man, we did it. We beat Encyclopedia Britannica. We're the new thing now. Yeah, we're on the One now? year later, Wikipedia comes out. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, yeah, so she, she's on Encarta 2047. And Martin, what word did she finally learn? War? Yeah, war. She learns all about war. She loses it. She starts crying. But look, the way that she learns about it, they just show pictures of like Hitler over and over again. This is one of the cheesiest, over the top melodramatic pieces of crap I've ever seen in my life. This movie does not earn the right to have this kind of emotional impact. Nothing in this movie that came before it gives them the right to do this, to invoke Hitler imagery. You had Get the no hell right. out of here. They had no right to out themselves. Ken, what do you think? I would be okay with it, except she's looking at a, a bunch of images that really like, without any context, they're meaningless. So how does she even understand what she's looking at? Yeah, the burning cross and things like that. Pictures of like a soldier. Like there wasn't even anything really horrific that she was looking at that she could understand. It just doesn't make any sense. She's crying. Huh? And this gives her moral doubt. Like, Why should I save the human race if they won't even save themselves? Very narrow-minded from the perfect being. Yeah. Extremely narrow-minded. I mean, whatever. So. Well, just to make a long story short, we don't even need to go into detail on this stuff here because they get her back to the Egyptian temple. They after some screwing around and grabbing each other's asses, they figure out how to activate the ultimate weapon and shoots a magic white laser beam into space and kills the evil planetoid 60 miles away from the Earth. And now the Earth has a second moon. Wouldn't that cause all sorts of chaos on the planet? Yes. The, the Earth would rip itself apart. Tidal waves would just destroy cities. Yeah. But no, everyone's laughing and cheering and drinking champagne. Uh-huh. And what else are they doing? Oh, oh yeah. I know what they're doing. So they're in the UV tube or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> 
they're 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 GTLing their gym tan laundry and and they're they're in this this tube and the president's like oh let me congratulate the person who saved whatever the world and and the scientist's like um excuse me I'm a scientist so I can't even say the word sex um they're um uh, and he makes some stupid hand motion that's supposed to mean that they're <laughs> making out or something and they open up this stupid slide thing that that is from like a speakeasy in like the 1930s and it's like it shows them making out and cue the corny over the top smooth jazz R&B singer yes that's oh, just that what color was that what color tube? was that room it was blue blue, blue sexy. sex room Woo. we did it again guys this is the fourth movie we did it again thank god <laughs> Wait a minute. I Bruce like, Willis was in the last Blue Sex Room. I the like, last Boy Scout. Buck Wild when I saw yeah. that. And Mike was like, what, what are you laughing at? I was like, they did it again. Blue <laughs> Sex Scene. Everyone has sex in blue rooms. So that's the fifth element. It's love after all. <laughs> okay. Love conquers all. Yeah, that's the th- synopsis. Right, Thank isn't you. No, no, I'm saying love is the fifth element. I thought it was boron. Did you see what uh, I did there? I was waiting for you to make that joke. <laughs> yeah, I waited for this very moment. Thanks. I'm glad, you, very day. I'm glad you made it. In my research, it said that the, this guy, the director, writer, whatever, in numerous interviews said sex is the fifth element. I don't get that from this movie, though. He's Wiccan, obviously. <laughs> wow. Wicca. Well, there is a lot of sex in the movie. They, but when the fifth element was released, yes. they weren't having sex. That would have been an amazing scene, though, right? If they were. <gasps> oh, well, that's it. That's the fifth element. Let's find out what the real critics have to say about this movie. <laughs> One of the great goofy movies, a film so preposterous I wasn't surprised to discover it was written by a teenage boy. Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun-Times. There's no doubt about it, when it comes to saving the world, Bruce Willis is your man. He does it with smarts and style, humor and courage. Kevin Thomas, Los Angeles Times. And finally, The Fifth Element has to be the most creative visualization since Tim Burton's first Batman in 1989. On top of that, it's a whole lot of fun. Mick LaSalle, San Francisco Chronicle. Okay, guys, this movie has a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes, but is it really that good? I sit here and I nitpick the plot of this movie, but I'm totally ignoring how much fun I have watching this thing. It is enjoyable, and the acting is really good. Visually, especially for the time, I thought it was very well done. The plot itself is absurd, but that's, I think, part of what is enjoyable about this movie. I don't have to go so, I guess, cerebral with it to have to get involved and enjoy it. Yeah, 71 is good. I'm going to give this movie a solid 3 out of 5. I, I think if it had a stronger story and wasn't so kitschy with a lot of a lot of gimmicks, I, I could bump it up to a 4, but I'm going to stay at a solid 3 out of 5. For me, is it that good? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I hated this movie the first time I saw it and I hated it this time. This movie's about 45 minutes too long. It's like 2 hours and 6 minutes. I was losing my mind watching this movie. It's so boring at times and there's so much extra crap that the doesn't even matter. Whoa, 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 whoa. You gotta tell me you didn't like the Rastafarian hanger No, crew? I didn't. <laughs> It's such a waste of time. Yeah, this movie tried to be over the top and kind of like wink at you, but it, I, I never found it to be fun or funny. The only good part of this movie is the acting. All the acting's great, but it's not enough for me. This is a one out of five. Whoa, I can't believe it. Shocking. Okay, as for me, this is one of those movies that had I not have seen this movie at the time and had I seen it today for the first time, I probably wouldn't like this thing. But this 
movie is riding on a wave of nostalgia in my mind. In my heart, this is like a four, I guess, because I have all these emotions wrapped up with it. But in reality, I'm going to drop a three. This is a three out of five, because this movie is nonsensical. It really is. And this whole thing about the villain never interacting with the hero, like, what the hell's the point of the movie? You know, that's, that's a problem when they don't interact with each other. But on the other hand, this movie is really inventive. I think this movie is a lot of fun, and it's really over the top, and it's worth seeing just for the spectacle of it, especially for Chris Tucker and the stuff that he, that guy does. That performance is amazing, and this movie is worth seeing just for Chris Tucker. So, yeah, I'm going to go with a three out of five. Okay, let's read some listener mail. Martin, why don't you uh, take the reins this time? Make some stains. Okay, this is from Vince. He writes, Dear Manchilds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As mellifluous as Joel's dulcet voice is, the occasions when our grand cardinal of Yadzap Ed World Headquarters has been stricken with hiccups of rote syphilis allowed the equally talented orators of Martin and Kevin to take charge for small sections of the show. I hate to break tradition or to further inflate the ego of Martin. I don't mind compliment Kevin. He sounds as though he needs it. <laughs> oh, man! But has made a nice change of pace when either of them read out the listener's mail or critic reviews. I certainly don't mean to invoke a vote of no confidence against the CEO President L.L. Hooljo has been elected for life after all. But surely he is now in such a position of power where he can delegate reading responsibilities to his senior generals occasionally. You know, like a treat to make them feel important once in a while. Just a thought. Love you guys. You make my week even when talking about keyboards. Keep it up. So Martin, do you feel special having read that? I don't know. I, I, I did it as a treat just for you. For your ego. Thanks. Thanks for <laughs> bolstering my ego. <laughs> I don't know. Kevin, did you enjoy the compliment? No. You look like you need it. No. <laughs> so Amanda writes, just dropping a line from a drill ship, ship like oil rig. My coworkers and I were trying to pass the time with some humor while being unbearably blighted by a bastard of baleful squall. And show your Armageddon episode for some ear candy. The moment one of you said something like, what is Liv Tyler doing on this rig with all these ex-convicts? Four rig hands turned and looked at me. While I'm no Liv Tyler, a lady tends to stand out on these rigs. Of the four rig hands present at the time, one has done jail time for meth, another has a teardrop tattoo too near his eye for something no one is willing to ask him about, and the other one was fired from a previous rig for injuring himself routinely so he could go home and make his parole meetings. So you guys really nailed it there with the demographic of a rig. The answer to the question is money and time off. We get paid full salary to work only six months out of the year. I should be noted that I never wear heels on a rig like Liv Tyler does. Nobody would, as it is against company safety policy as well as just plain ludicrous. And then there's the rest of the oil rig scenes. Just piss poor. Anyway, thanks for the podcast. That's amazing, Kevin, that our show is being listened to out at sea on an oil rig. That's exactly where I expected people to listen to this yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over on Deep Horizon, they're all, they're listening. <laughs> Armin writes in, and he's got a uh, he's got a guess of what we all look like. Okay, so this is th- this is what he thinks. I'm gonna throw my hat into the squared circle and guess what you guys look like. I will let the Simpsons be my guide. Joel looks like Bart's friend Millhouse. Kevin looks like school weenie Martin Prince, and Martin looks like bully Nelson Muntz. Am I close? Kevin, how do you feel about that? Kevin was really excited because of the Simpsons reference. But then when he got his response, he wilted like a flower. School weenie, Martin Prince. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Wang computers. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Okay, so... Um, Joel does have blue hair. <laughs> okay, so JV writes in, So I'm sitting down watching this TV show called Hannibal, and when Morpheus sits down for a nice dinner with Hannibal Lecter, I catch a glimpse of the music, and all of a sudden I hear, Let's do what we always do at the top of the show. I rewound the scene just to make sure and did backflips for joy as I recognize the music as if it's originally from your podcast. By the way, do you know the title and original composer of that tune? Yep, that, for those who are curious, that is Brandenburg Concerto Number 4 by Bach. Oh, there you go. 
Thanks for those emails, guys. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at yesthatbad at gmail.com. Okay, now it's time to announce next week's movie. Next week's movie is going to be a movie that's going to make us squirm. Want to bite a worm? <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we might even vomit watching this one. Who knows? We're going to be watching Willem Dafoe's Antichrist. That's right. This movie is not for the faint of heart, Kevin. So your wife may not want to watch this one. I'm going to take a leap of faith and say that your wife will absolutely not want to watch this yeah, movie. Yeah, you may get divorce papers <laughs> Seriously. after this one. Okay, to the next one, we'll be watching Antichrist. Okay, thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Please help spread the word of the show by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash bad. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help out the show. You can follow the show on Twitter at yeah, it's bad. You can follow Marty at Martin. You can follow Kevin at it's Kev. And you can listen to the show on all your mobile devices via Stitcher. You can get that at stitcher.com. And don't forget to get our latest premium podcasts at yeahitsthatbad.bandcamp.com. Once again, thanks for listening to the show. See you next time. And we jump back to Bruce Willis and he's chowing down on this, what what I think is probably the coolest thing in this movie, a floating... It smells so bad. Your own? You. How's that me? It was you. Oh, this guy. <laughs> The air is foul tonight. You know what? Farts are flying everywhere. You know what? I'm going to join in. (laughs) Thank you. This might be the thickest fart cloud we've ever had to operate in. This is hazardous. We're starting this the fart. It's the season, right? The summer movie season. We're kicking it off. <laughs> the summer farting season. Yeah. <laughs> you know that fart just woke me up. Getting a little drowsy. Yeah, and the temperature is only going to rise, you know, as as we go forward. The humidity's rising. Yeah. It's thick in here. <laughs>